Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron's Sportsbook Yes. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. And a pleasant good evening to everybody tonight. It is Friday, August 19th, 2022. Welcome to the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast presented by Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting, you may need a support group. Uh, tonight we've got a lot of big things on tap uh, for uh, discussion. Um, obviously, as we are approaching the uh, end of the preseason in the National Football League, uh, the regular season is coming up. And, of course, uh, we are in the thick of the pennant race in Major League Baseball. We have some uh, off-the-field news from both uh, leagues uh, here tonight. Um, a lot of things going on with uh, uh, quarterbacks calling out their wide receivers. Uh, we've got some um, information on the uh, Live Golf, to, uh, golf uh, Tournament, or Golf Tour, rather, uh, as well. And then um, some assessments by uh, Tiger Woods. Alan, of course, will bring his uh, – take on those things here tonight as well, and uh, many, many other things that are going to happen here this evening. So we're looking forward. This is going to be a great show. Alan's with us here now. Alan, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking, Aaron. Really appreciate it. Really glad to be here on another great episode of the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Perfect. Well, tonight we've got a lot of things going on. Um, obviously, as I kind of alluded to there a moment ago, um, some off-the-field news uh, to start off with in both Major League Baseball and in the National Football League. We'll go with the NFL first, uh, Alan. Um, we talked about this uh, in the last couple of uh, weeks. In fact, really this dates back uh, quite a while, over a year, in fact. Um, two weeks ago when we were having this discussion about Deshaun Watson, he was suspended at that point for I believe it was either five or six games. I want to say it was five, and uh, it was appealed. And uh, they came to a uh, new uh, time uh, for him, which is now going to be 11 games plus a $5 million uh, fine or penalty, however you want to look at it. Um, Question out there to everybody, and I'll ask you first, is was this the right decision? Was this a fair decision? If it wasn't, what should it have been? What are your thoughts on how this all played out? Well, I'm definitely glad that they went ahead and reassessed his suspension. I thought the six-game suspension was too weak when they originally made the announcement. And then, you know, I think this was a situation where they kind of tested the market, tested how the public was going to feel about it to see if they could kind of get this, get away with the six games. A lot of people in the public were not satisfied with the suspension length, which I wasn't originally. But I do think the 11-game suspension is about fair because I originally said he was going to probably get double digits. Even though the NFL didn't get it right initially, I feel as if they got it right now. I feel as if the 11 game is more fair. And I thought double digits was going to be about right. They came in, I was thinking 10, they gave him 11, and they gave him a $5 million fine. I would have personally liked, because of the severity and how many victims, that he may have gotten a whole year. But being that he did settle all the cases and it at least is a double digit suspension. I think I'm okay with it. I'm more at peace with it now. That, that, that's where I come out of. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely better uh, that he ends up with this than uh, than what he originally was given. My thought on this is this, and, you know, whether it's in the sports world or just the media in general, we've been hearing for the last, I don't know, five years, probably longer than that, that, you know, we, we need to take these kind of things more seriously. We saw years back where, and I forget who the player was, um, I want to say he was a running back with the Vikings, if I remember correctly. might have been with the, the, um, the Baltimore Ravens, rather. Um, who was caught on camera in an elevator, um, you know, taking a swing. And I think he was actually striking his girlfriend or wife at the time. And so these kind of situations, the thing that bothers me about this particular one is, again, all of the, all the different, uh, you know, uh, accusations, which obviously accusation doesn't necessarily mean something occurred. Um, but when there's so many like this, you know, there's that old saying where there is smoke, there is fire. The thing that I'm bothered by by this the most is this seems, in my opinion, to set a bad precedent for any future issues of the same variety or the same type, whether it's, you know, what he did. And I'm not even going to repeat what Deshaun Watson did. I just find it to be disgusting and and, um, not something that we want to discuss the specific details on this program. Um, But I, I think that when you get into some of the more hardcore things that happen out there, to me, it seems like the league has gotten soft on it and in my opinion you know this is a national football league these guys are supposed to be you know tough if you commit the crime if you commit some sort of a an act like this in my opinion toughen them up you know show show these other guys that potentially might think about doing something like this in the future that this is not acceptable this is not something you're going to stand for as a league and and make an example out of a guy like sean watson he's a good player there's no question about that and i think that if you you have a guy like him with a hard mark on him like that other guys might think twice before they do something stupid so that's just my personal take on it um and uh, we're going to bring in our good buddy uh lou here tonight uh, to get his take as well uh lou thanks for joining us tonight how are you doing all right thanks so you're, uh, you're a new yorker you're <laughs> good okay i was gonna say so you, you may have a slightly different uh viewpoint on this um just being in the New York, New Jersey area, obviously right. uh, different market than we're in, and everyone has a different opinion from uh, time to time. What are your thoughts on the now 11-game suspension plus the $5 million fine that Deshaun Watson is going to be? Yeah, well, he's lucky he only got that in our fantasy season, and you know, that'd be suspended for the whole season. Uh, you know, a lot of people were thinking, well, I mean, that's what the NFL was looking for. They were looking to give him you know, more than that, you know, the whole, the whole uh, season and whatnot. But even though the, the and the judge even said that he would have faced additional fines, so it's really you know a lot of conflicting reports. I think maybe that um, I think maybe six may have been punishment enough uh, for that, and um, that's a hefty fine to pay. I, you know, and, you know when all the lawsuits thrown out and whatnot, I don't know anybody was thinking that he deserved more. So uh, I think it would have been fine just the way it is to leave it at six games. And I have to think if it's long suspension and Cleveland's not going to do well. This season, which they probably won't. Um, I don't think Watson's going to come back anyway. Yeah, so you're that's saying, a good point. Go ahead. You're saying Go the ahead, six Alan. games. You, you're saying the six games you thought was fine. I think it's enough. I don't think he. I don't think he needed to spend more than that. But that's what the league was going for. I don't know. I, I just think. I, I just think it's it's just the six game. In my opinion, was a little light, real light. And I I would have liked the whole season, but 
being at the NFL really went soft on this move with Deshaun Watson yeah. in its entirety, I'm at least glad that they got it right and at least gave him double digits. That's what I, I come out mm-hmm. of. The league really was soft on Deshaun, so at least that they did something and at least gave him double digits, I feel at peace with that. Because it doesn't sound like this 11 games and the fine is going to be – It's going to. I think they came to agreement on this, so this is not going to be contested. It is going to be 11 games with the $5 million. So I look at it as you was really soft in this guy. At the end, you kind of got it right. I'm glad you gave him at least double digits, 11 games. So I'm okay with it, but I felt as if the NFL didn't really do their end of the bargain and really come out strong and set a precedent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that's what I think most people are going to, are going to think anyway. But there are some people that think that uh, six was just just enough. Yeah, I mean, you get you get that, and I, I look at it like this. And, you know, people say, hey, he didn't get charged criminally. That's what you hear a lot of. He didn't get charged criminally. Right. Well, yes, he didn't get charged criminally, but it doesn't mean he was innocent either. You see what I'm saying? These right. type of cases are kind of hard to kind of – there's no smoking gun. So I, I looked at what I had available as far as the evidence. I do think, as is with Aaron's point, when it smoked, this fire. And with him, there was a lot of – I would say a lot of fire. And okay with the 11 games. All right. Yeah, just to reiterate, uh, I believe it was 26 or 27 women came forward – um, so yeah. kind, of to, kind of to go back to that point you were just making there a moment ago, Alan, I think the thing that most people would look at, most reasonable people would look at and say, okay, two or three, um, you know, two or three accusations is one thing, you know, 20 plus, that's really, it's hard to, uh, would I say that out of those 26 or 27, that there wasn't at least one or two in there that probably were not, um, not uh, actual, you know, something didn't actually occur. That's probably a good, good, uh, good chance that that's the case. But again, kind of what I said before, when you have that many uh, individuals coming out with a similar or same story, it's really hard to, to you know, deny that something did occur. And in fairness, there should be an investigation. But you know, the league isn't going to mm-hmm. probably go any further into that. Now, there's another story that happened uh, broke uh, overnight early this morning from. Major League Baseball, so off-the-field type stuff. And this one pains me just because it's my team that it happened to. Um, So Braves DH uh, outfielder Marcelo Zuna, who uh, last May was arrested for domestic violence against his, I believe it was his wife, ended up getting suspended for the remainder Mm -hmm. of last season and ended up pleading out. They uh, basically uh, lowered the charges against him. He went to a rehabilitation, uh, some sort of program. Last night, he gets arrested for DUI at uh, 4 in the morning. Yep. And to me, I, I already felt like the other thing was the last straw. Um, there's no tolerance in my mind for what he no, was to do in last year. Like that. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is strike three. You, you, don't, you already start with one strike, basically. So, so now – Basically, Atlanta's in a tough position because you've got, uh, you know, two years left, $41 million uh, plus whatever they're going to owe him the rest of this year. Now, he may end up getting suspended for the rest of the year without pay, so maybe that helps raise that. I'm not worried about the money part of it, but I think the the thought of this is like, okay, this is a guy who 
got everything together after he got in trouble. He was apologetic. He 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 moved on. You know, people make mistakes, even dumb mistakes. I'm not a big fan of that. Somebody like this, I'd prefer just to say, hey, let's cut our losses and move forward. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on, you know, how does this happen not only close to, but only 15 months after the previous bigger incident occurred here back uh, last year? Yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, you wish that Marcel and a lot of these athletes would kind of get it, that you're not just judged on what you do on the field. You're, to a large part, to judge even more so what you do off the field. And I feel as if, to your point, Aaron, he didn't, you know, getting in trouble for domestic violence is not a good look. It's just a horrible look for any athlete, any entertainer, anybody, even if you're not in anybody who's famous, and that's not a good look. And then... Anybody, really. But especially if you're in the public eye. Exactly. And then, you know, the the DUI, we'll, we'll talk about Marcel specifically first. We got more to talk about other people later, but Marcel first is, is just, you know, this is not this is not what you need when you're trying to catch a team that's red hot, the Mets, Yeah, and you're getting pulled over for DUI suspicion. I mean, that's what Uber and Lyft is for. You have plenty of money. You can take a cab. You can even have your car towed if you needed to. There isn't an issue there. You don't need to drink and drive. You know, you no. You just don't need to do it. There's no excuse for it. You know, I'll give you guys a quick quick little story. I just, you know, we went to Chicago on a two-lane road that we were on, I-75, and the guy next to me to the left, he was veering out of, in and out of traffic and looked to me like he was drunk. He wasn't falling asleep. And I was like, man, look at this. And it was like a big scene because my wife, I was like, look at this. Look at this guy, you know, for a good 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, all right, let me let me get in front of him, way in front of him. Then I was like, he caught up. Then I said, let me get way behind him. I'm like, what is going on? So it is dangerous. It is very dangerous. Yeah, and it's not worth it either. Yeah. You know, the fact is at this point, you know, probably at least for the interim, this is going to cost him the rest of this year. Um, I would, I would personally hope that somehow Atlanta can, can cut him. Um, maybe they can void his contract in some way. Um, I, I was watching our, our good buddy, Tyler Redmond did a uh, special on his program earlier today regarding this. And obviously we don't know all the legal ramifications of major league baseball's uh, contracts yes. or his contract specifically. So that stuff will probably play out. And the official word from the Braves is they're going to let things play out the legal system way um, going forward, which is the right way to do it. You don't want to o- overstep anything. Um, but here's what I'll say: you know, the Braves won the World Series last year without him. I think he's a I, I think he's a good player. I, I I enjoy watching him on the field because I think he has fun out there. But th- this this was really honestly the, the thing that happened last year for me was okay. That, that's you're done. So he comes back. It's one of those things where you're just like, okay, you kind of try to not put it out of your mind, but you try not to think about it. And then, you know, something like this happens, and it's just like, okay, we can't have this. This is a team that's trying to compete for a World Series uh, again. And negative detractors like this, uh, it's just you gotta you got to move on no matter how you do it. If you have to eat that money. Yes, you do. Um, you know, uh, so be it. So, um, And then, Alan, you brought up there uh, another – uh, another off the field uh, 
conflict that's happened. Uh, go ahead and go into that one for us. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch, he got a – well, he actually didn't get pulled over. The interesting thing about Marshawn Lynch, that's why I wanted to make sure they were different. Marshawn Lynch, I, you know, I watched the body cam footage. He was basically in a souped-up Cobra, and he was sitting in it, and, yes, he was drunk, but the car was off, and it didn't have a front driver's side rim. So he couldn't actually drive the car. And the, the car was off, but he was drunk in front of the seat. He claimed that the car was stolen. I, I don't know why he's sitting in a car that's stolen, drinking. Yeah. And it, it, to me, with Marshawn, I will give him the benefit of this doubt that I just thought he just did something that was really stupid. Yes, yeah. I, for the people who don't understand this, if you're behind a wheel and you're intoxicated, even if the engine is off, and you're not actually driving the car, because Marshawn's car was off. Let me give you the people the facts. It was off, and it had no front right rim. But he was sitting in the car drunk, and, you know, he brought up a good point. So I'm not doing anything, but unfortunately the law is you can't be behind the wheel. Yeah, you're yeah. intent to drive is, is what the law in most states is. If you're, if you're behind the wheel, whether you have keys uh, or not, um, it's considered intent to drive. So it, it is – I don't know about every state, but I know here in Florida, it's it's something that would be considered illegal, and they would definitely nail you for it. So, yes, yeah, and that's the thing. I think if he wasn't intoxicated, and someone explained this to him, it was kind of like a little bit of ignorance and being intoxicated at the same time. He wasn't coherent, and in his mind, he's drinking. He's like, I'm not driving the car. The car doesn't even have a front rim, which is true. Both are true but you're behind the wheel and you're drinking, that's the issue right there. That's the issue. You know? Yeah, I, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I can't even tell him he could have got an Uber, because, and, and I don't know why you'd be sitting right. in a car. I don't know why you'd be sitting in a car that's stolen. That's, like, it, to me, I had, like, a lot of like questions for him when he was, when he was sober. Hey, why would you sit in a car that's stolen, just chilling? And why would you drink behind the wheel... I know you weren't driving, but still, why would you do that? Like, and then the crazy thing about that body cam footage is that when the guy came back, most of the people at least didn't act like they recognized him. But one of the guys, yeah. the one who actually pulled him out of the car, and then when he got back to his vehicle, he said, I think that's Marshall Lynch. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean – yeah, and I will say I did think he he, for the record I did think the guy that did say I think that was Marshawn Lynch was a little rough on my man Marshawn Lynch. He just like kind of like tossed him out the car. Uh, yes, I know Marshawn was stalling and he was talking too much, but I felt like come on man, you have to do all that. I haven't seen the video, so I'm not uh, familiar with Neither the specifics there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I watched the video, and yeah, so there are two different cases, Marcel and Marshawn. They there are yes. a lot of different factors. Marcel was driving a vehicle; his vehicle had the rims on it, and he was behind the wheel. But yeah, what are your thoughts, Lou? Well, I haven't seen the video either, so. It's hard to tell. 
Yeah. But there is a fine difference between, you know, between both entities. Yeah, there is. And what are your thoughts about the players that get you, – you, you're real smart. Lou, what are your thoughts on people that actually get a DUI? What is your advice to them that when you get in trouble, what should they do? Well, I mean, these people think they're above the law, which they're not. So that's the first thing. They have to, they have to remember that they have to buy with the same laws as everybody else. But they think because I'm a high-class athlete or a world-class athlete, you can get a murder. No, you can't. You know, I, you, I think you should turn yourself in, first of all. That would be the smart thing to do. Just take an Uber or a Lyft or take get somebody to pick Lyft. you up. Get one I'll of your boys to pick you up. One of your people in your circle. The other thing I wonder, I mean, I, I don't know what time of day this thing happened with Marshawn Lynch, but Marcel Azuna was pulled over at, I think it was just a little before four in the morning. And I'm just saying this from a baseball perspective. Uh, we both, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, the program, the captain a little bit later on, you and I, Alan, but, you know, yeah. go back to the early 2000s and Derek Jeter was criticized by the late George Steinbrenner for staying out at a birthday party till you know, 3 a.m. So I'm wondering in my yeah. mind what what a player is doing out at 4 o'clock in the morning on a on a game night. I mean, you have a game, it's not until 7 o'clock at night the next day or later on that yeah. same day, but, you know, what are you doing out so late like that? Um, it, it just makes you wonder what else may have been going on too, but potentially. Yeah, there have been rumors about that. Speculation, but um, yeah. to, to me, and this was always something I was told when I was growing up, um, you know, when you're young, especially, and, and obviously in, in Marcel's case, this is a guy who has millions of dollars, you know, in the bank, and he obviously was driving a really nice car. Um, but a lot of times, you know, again, I, I'm not trying to run anybody's business here, but typically when you're out that late, the only things you're going to end up finding are trouble, and that seems like that's what happened with yeah. him this time around. So it's just an unfortunate situation, and, and hopefully he gets the help he needs. Um, but, again, I think that uh, – and I hope Major League Baseball comes down pretty hard on him for – or, you know, having another major issue a little over a year past the last one that occurred. So Yeah, I, I agree with you that. You think you learned learn better from the first time, but no. Yeah, I agree with that. And and what I also look at is, you know, you got to learn your lesson. And what these suspensions are something that are avoidable. You know, you're, you're not above the law. Yeah. you got to face – got to do the laws and – you have to – I'll give Jim Rome credit on this. I'll give him credit. He said nothing good happens if you're out past 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing good happens. And that's usually yeah. the case. If you're out past 2 o'clock in the morning, usually nothing good happens. Yeah, yeah usually there's – I mean, there, there's – again, you know, there's certain things you do need to go out for. You know, somebody's sick, you need to get medical attention – different story obviously but this this seems like it was well well past um anything that should have been happening and again he doesn't live terribly far from the ballpark from my understanding so you know and and let's look at it this way too the game last evening ended around i know i stayed up for it uh it was probably around 10 15 so this incident took place you know almost six hours after the game had already ended so you're talking about you know, you've already gone back to the clubhouse, you've showered, you've cleaned up, you've probably already gone home. So, you know, what else was going on that, that would have led to this? It's just one of those things where personal responsibility, if I'm a big league manager, here's the way I would look at it. 
you know, and I'm sure guys like Joe Torrey and Bobby Cox and many of the other great managers ran teams the same way. I'm not going to give my guys a um, official, especially when you're in your home, pa- uh, home ballpark, I'm not going to give them an official curfew unless I have to, you know, unless this is a, a thing that starts happening a lot. And not that this is happening with a lot of players, but you, you have that trust, you have that, that, that uh, length on the leash, so to speak, until there's a reason to take it away. And I, I would be very, very leery at this point. You know, not that other guys on the team necessarily are doing the same thing, but you got to start putting your foot down and saying, look, let's, yeah. you know, let's try to get home as soon as we can because we've got another game the next day and we're trying to win a World Series again. So, um, you know, we'll see where this goes. I would expect Major League Baseball to rule on this probably in the next, you know, couple of days. I'm yeah. sure it's going to be a suspension for the rest of the year just given his past track record. Yes. Yes. Great point there. So, Lou, what do you got cooking on your show? Well, you think it's going to be a quiet week? Forget it. That's not going to happen. Uh, we're going to check MLB. We're going to check the postseason schedule, uh, the NFL preseason. Uh, the NBA just got released with their new schedule for the year, so we'll take care of that. Um, WNBA playoffs. The PGA tour. Uh, PGA uh, playoffs continue. Uh, they're doing more bickering with LIV, of course. So we'll take, we'll take care of that. Um, then I'm going to talk maybe a little UFC because there's a big fight tomorrow night that uh, that I might be even uh, looking interested in. We'll have to see about that. So uh, if you got time, call the Enhanced Sports Show, 5 to 7 p.m. tomorrow, 512-543-4662. 512-543-4662. Oh, we'll also have our first predictions for college football because next week does start the season. Contrary to popular belief that it starts uh, the weekend of Labor Day, no, it does actually start next week, despite the rumors you heard. Looking right. forward to it, too. So we will take predictions starting tomorrow. That's pretty awesome there, so make sure you support Lou on the Now, in case sport- anybody wonders why I do it a week ahead of time, because by the time my show gets on the air, half the games are already done, and there'd be <laughs> no point in going over that when those games have been done. Like, uh, well, wait, uh, that already just happened. It's a lot different with the NFL, but that's only one game. When 25% of the games are already done by the time I go on the air, there's no point in doing it for that for that week. Duh. <laughs> think about there you it, go. people. Got to think outside the box. That's right. Yeah, well, people sure think you... I'm nuts anyway, but that's 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 another story altogether. All <laughs> right, fellas. Hopefully, hopefully you guys are calling during football season because I could really use it. It sounds good. So five one two five four three four six six two five one two five four three toll free people toll free between five and seven Eastern Standard Time Zone on the Enhanced Sports Show. Support our yes. our great friend Lou. Thanks. You're welcome, Lou. Always a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Lou, have a great night. Yep. <laughs> All, right, All right. So our good buddy Lou there. Definitely happy to uh, have him uh, join the program uh, this evening. And, of course, again, we always encourage our listeners to uh, tune into his programs uh, between 5 and 7 p.m. Eastern time. That's New York time um, on his uh, show, The Enhanced Sports Show, um, again, with our good buddy Lou. Uh, just want to remind everybody again, uh, our great program here tonight is sponsored by Chef G's barbecue sauce so, so delicious and addicting you might need a support group uh, moving right along here alan um got a lot of stuff to get to here tonight so we want to try to make sure we can 
cram everything into this uh, uh, time frame that we have for our program. Uh, preseason NFL football has been going on. Obviously, most teams, and I say most teams, don't play their biggest stars very long if they play them at all during a lot of these preseason games now that they've cut it back to a three-game schedule. Um, but there's a big story that's coming out of Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers has been calling out his young receiving core, and he's taken some criticism for it. There's been a lot of, you know, uh, different uh, storylines that have come out from this. I want to get your take on what has happened there, and was this uh, a good thing, a bad thing, or, or what, what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, basically, you know, Aaron, after a practice, was upset at the receivers for the young receivers for dropping a lot of passes and not running the right routes. And he basically called them out right after the practice and when he did his press conference by his locker. And he didn't mince words. He basically said that the young receivers need to start stop dropping balls and start running the right routes. And he blasted them publicly. And my thoughts on it, I wasn't cool with it. I really wasn't. I didn't think it was necessary. I think he could have talked to the receivers behind closed doors before you blast them in the media. They are young. A lot of these guys are young. They're learning. You know, the drops happen. That's what practice is for. But you can't blast young guys in, in the media because they already are kind of like finding out where they're going to be as a player. They're the new kid on the block. And sometimes when you try so hard to impress people or try to do a great job, you make mistakes. I, I think you could have said this in closed doors, like, hey, guys, we got to do better. we we got to make sure that the route is ran this way, explain it to them better. And the drops, they will get better. They, you know, when you give guys confidence, usually they do better. And I felt as if he, it was, this was poor leadership skills on Aaron Rodgers' part. I think Aaron is a great quarterback regular season quarterback, but he lacks on, on um, professionalism, I think, sometimes, and leadership. I think this was – you don't have Devontae Adams out there catching balls right now. You don't have a vet, a guy who's just a baller, number one receiver that will catch anything you throw near him. These guys are – you know, they're not Deshaun, and you got to – there's a learning curve there. So – I didn't like it at all. I thought it was immature. I thought he could have handled a lot better with the young group. You just kind of crushed their <laughs> – you kind of crushed your spirit. So those are my takes on, on Aaron Rodgers' move. I'm going to flip the script on that a little bit. Um, you know, I can understand that side of it, and I'm doing this out there more or less just to play devil's advocate more than anything else. So you've got a veteran team for the most part in Green Bay that – if you look at the last three years, they've been the best team in the regular season by, by a good margin during the regular season only. Uh, obviously, they've had their uh, shortcomings in the playoffs. They've been a uh, favorite to win their division the last three years consecutively, and they've done that. They've won 13 games uh, each year since 2019. Um, so the expectations in Green Bay are Super Bowl or bust. So you go into the off season, you have Rodgers finally commit to staying basically the remainder of his career in Green Bay. Shortly after that happens, though, you lose Devontae Adams. He ends up the Raiders. That's a whole other uh, topic for another time. So you go into the draft. You end up getting a receiver in the draft uh, who's supposed to be very good. He's one of these receivers that has been dropping passes. I look at it from also, you know, 
even though it's not really necessarily the most uh, appropriate way to handle it through the media, and I, I wouldn't personally do this, and I wouldn't recommend anybody else to either, I think that the thing that can happen or can help here, uh, again, playing devil's advocate, is these guys are not going to want to be blasted like this all the time. So I think that this could be a wake-up call to them, like, hey, we've really got to step up our game. We're expected to win here. Um, I don't think anybody out there is going to pick anybody other than Green Bay to win the NFC North this year. Let's look at it this way. The Bears, they're still, um, you know, they're still trying to figure out, you know, which direction they're going. The Lions, let's not even get into them right now. They're still terrible. The only team that really has any real shot at maybe making some sort of a competitive move uh, in the North is the Vikings. And I just, I don't see them doing it either. I think there's too many missing pieces in, in Minnesota. So um, ultimately, in the NFC, you've got, you know, maybe four teams that are, you kind of look at and say, I can see that team going to the Super Bowl. And Green Bay is one of those four, maybe five teams in the NFC. And I think that, you know, this may be lights of fire into those receivers to really play well uh, here during this season. And, and maybe they get there. Who knows? Yeah, I, I just think it's a big risk on, on younger guys. I can understand this if this is a group of people that you have played with, you have some experience with, and you know that they know what's going on, what the playbook is. I just think with young guys, you know, when you crush their their confidence, it usually doesn't end well. They just don't have the maturity, kind of like the mental toughness to deal with that public criticism as a guy that's been in the league does. I just think it's a risky move. I still do. I agree with your point. The, the Green Bay, they're in a, in a great situation because they're in a, in a division where, you know, they, there's room for error, and they can still win the division. I mean, it's just tough to win in Lambeau during the regular season, and you still got Aaron Rodgers, still got great running back. So they, they're going to be in a great spot. I just think the team is going to be definitely different. You let the number one, the number one, arguably the number one receiver in the league go to another team. And with that case, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be different. It's gonna be a different it's gonna be a learning curve for Aaron and the rest of the wide receiver crew. They're gonna get more opportunities now than they did before. And whoever does step up is gonna get more reps. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I, I would compare this and it all depends on of course the final outcome of this season. But I, I go back, and I think I mentioned this before, 2006, I'm sorry, between 2005 and 2006, Indianapolis Colts, obviously with the great Peyton Manning leading them, they could not get over the hump in the playoffs against uh, Pittsburgh and against, of course, New England with Brady and company there. And so after the 05 season, Edger and James took off for free agency and went to, of all places, Arizona. I'm not sure why that move ever happened, but, you know, in the draft, uh, the Colts ended up getting Joseph Adai, and I don't think many people really thought after that uh, transpired, the, the loss of James and, and moving on to a new era, that the Colts were going to ever get over the hump and win a Super Bowl. In fact, even if you go to the uh, AFC title game that year, they were losing, uh, I think, by two touchdowns at one point against, uh, against uh, New England, and they, of course, uh, came back and ended up winning, but this could be a similar thing. Maybe it's the, the, the ego of Aaron Rodgers. Let's face it, he has a big ego. And I think that uh, to, a, to a similar degree, I think that uh, uh, Devontae Adams had that too. So 
maybe um, the room wasn't big enough for both guys, uh, you know, however you want to look at it. And may, maybe this is, maybe these moves in the off season were just the thing they needed to get over, you know, get over the hump. It wasn't two guys winning the games for Green Bay. It was the whole entire team as a, as a whole. And I think the big thing is going to be too, how well they play on defense this year. So that's going to be kind of the other, other side of the coin. So uh, we'll have our NFL predictions. Uh, I believe we're going to do that next week as we're, uh, oh yeah, a little less than yeah, a little less than two weeks away from uh, from the first uh, game of the regular season. So we're of course looking very forward to that. Um, so the NFL season is about to start. Major League Baseball season is starting to wind down. We're getting into that final uh, forty or so uh, games of the season. You and I obviously uh, have uh, high expectations for both of our clubs. Um, your club has been. Unfortunately, you know, the Yankees have been struggling a lot here lately, whereas the Braves have really turned it on and gotten on fire. I want to get your thoughts first on both uh, your club, my club, and then how the rest of the league shakes up or shapes up rather as we head down this uh, final home stretch of the regular season. Yeah, I agree with you. The Yankees have really been struggling over the last, <clears throat> I would say, I would arguably say since the All-Star break, they have really been on a backslide. And, you know, they lost in the last 10 games. They won two games and lost eight. It's very concerning because you're playing against better teams now, teams that have at least a 500 record or better, and you've been really struggling in this pocket. And, you know, one of the things that you have to do when you – if you want to win playoff games and you want to go deep in the playoffs, you have to learn how to manufacture runs. You cannot just rely on the long ball. It doesn't happen as much in the playoffs. And these games are not playoff games, but they're kind of playoff atmosphere. They get you in the groove and get you ready for the playoffs, and they kind of see what your weaknesses are. The Yankees do have holes. Even though they had such a great start, they have holes in their their game. Now they're eight games ahead, which is still very good. But, number one, it's not over yet. And you kind of don't want to go in the playoffs the way you're doing they need to start having guys that can take the extra base, start doing a little bit of small ball, start working on that right now, and start thinking about the playoffs because don't don't kind of like forget about the regular season games, but you got to look at this as the games that are remaining, hey, if this was a playoff game, how would I do? When or can I approve? That's what the Yankees' mindset needs to be. It is concerning. I won't lie, how poorly they've played since their All-Star game, I really don't see them getting much better, to be honest with you. I think it's it's going to be like this for between now and the end of the year. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing to me that they didn't go out and make more noise, um, you know, prior to the trade deadline. There was a lot of rumored moves out there. And obviously, you know, when you get into those negotiations as a general manager and you know, the other team asks for five of your top prospects. It's kind of hard to give that up sometimes, especially if you're not getting a player that really warrants that kind of a return. So um, I agree. And I think the biggest thing for the Yankees right now is this, you know, you've spent all this money the last several years on guys like Garrett Cole. Um, you've uh, brought in, um, you know, Josh Donaldson. Um, this is a team that has a lot of veteran pieces and then there's a lot of young pieces in there as well. And there's, there's no, no way to know for sure. I mean, this might be Aaron Judge's last uh, last dance with uh, with the Yankees. Uh, he's a free agent at the end of the season. Um, 
I think if a, a Yankees team, especially when they have a nine-game lead in the uh, East right now, if they have a first, if somehow they fail to win the division, first of all, that would be detrimental. But if they are out in the first round, um, I'm not sure Aaron Boone survives. Um, I think he's an excellent manager. I think he's a good fit for that particular club, but with a lot of potential other changes being made in the off season, especially possibly losing judge, I think Aaron uh, Boone could be on his way out. And I'll, I'm going to throw this name out there to Yankees fans. I think a name they might look at bringing in would be Don Mattingly. Um, if there is a change made there in New York, I can't see them losing this division, but I mean, stranger things have happened before. I've seen teams over the years that had a 10 or 12 game lead in mid to late August and they end up losing their division. So not saying it's going to happen, not saying it can't happen, but I, I just don't see that happening unless they just absolutely fall apart. On the other side, um, with the Braves, I mean, they've, they've been really – this is the exact time of year you want to start heating up. Mid-August, this is where you really want to get on a, a, good, um, a good pace. They've won nine of their last ten. Uh, they just took three out of four from the, the Mets. I honestly thought after they lost four out of five last week to New York that that was the end of their divisional – uh, hopes. I think they have a shot at winning the division now. They're only three and a half back. The Mets clearly, after this series, um, that they just lost three out of four to Atlanta, clearly showed they have some weaknesses. And I think Atlanta exposed those a lot. And I, I think it'll it'll certainly uh, be something that they can, uh, especially going head to head, expose again. Those two teams only have three games left, Atlanta and New York, the rest of the way, head to head. So. You're going to have to make up ground there, and you're going to have to make up ground You know, every time New York loses. Atlanta's going to have to win. So we'll see what happens there. I want to get your thoughts on where the Braves are at this point. Yeah, they're doing really well. You know, they're three and a half games out. As you mentioned, nine, out, nine wins out of ten. They're on a hot streak. And with them beating the Mets the way they did, they put themselves in a position, I feel, to catch the Mets. Without this head-to-head series, the way the Mets were playing, if they didn't go head-to-head against the Braves, I feel as if the Mets had the right formula to keep them off. Now that they reduced it to three and a half and they exposed the Mets, I think depending on how the Mets respond, I definitely do think the Braves have a chance to go ahead and get the Mets. One thing that didn't help was what happened to Marcel. That's The timing of that wasn't good. But if they can get past that distraction – and toughen it up, I think I think the Braves have a very good shot at getting the Mets. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be uh, down to the last uh, couple games, maybe even the last day of the season that determines the National League East this year. It's a really exciting thing. I mean, this is what we look forward to, pennant race baseball. Every game matters. Every game is kind of like what you're talking about with the Yankees. Every game is a playoff game in and of itself. Um, you know, it may not be an actual playoff game, but there is a playoff feel, and it's a good – good thing to uh to kind of get that practice in um this season right now where we're at august 19 2022 really reminds me of the divisional race that atlanta and new york had in 1999 um that year chipper jones ended up winning the national league um, mvp award largely in part because of his clutch hitting and especially his clutch hitting against the mets and this year uh atlanta has uh third baseman Austin Riley, who's having an MVP caliber season, and he's had some big hits in some, you know, situations that are, you know, kind of like what Chipper went through in, in 1999. And I think that, um, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, as these next uh, six, seven weeks uh, take place, you know, who steps up and, and really plays well. Um, I'm, I'm going to continue to pick Atlanta just because they've won it the last four years in a row. I feel like they've done what they need to do to expose those weaknesses. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting, though, because you look at the, the National League and, you know, the biggest thing that happened this week was with the Dodgers. Even though they've already won 81 games this year, they have the best record in the National League. And looking at it, they have the best record in baseball right now. They just lost their number one starter, Walker Bueller, for the rest of the year. And he may miss most of next year, too, with uh, an arm injury. So that's a huge, huge loss when it comes to down the stretch getting into the playoffs. That's a big arm to not have. They're going to win their division easily, though. They're 17 games ahead of uh, San Diego right now. That's pretty much. Uh, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna clinch probably the first week of September at this uh, rate that they're going right now. Um, Yankees, I can't see them losing the, the the East over in the American League. I just feel like, I mean, Tampa's played a little bit better here lately, but nine games is a lot to overcome so late in the season. Um, AL Central is a pretty interesting one. So you get three teams within two and a half games of each other. Uh, Cleveland is uh, ahead of Minnesota by a game, and the White Sox are only two and a half back, so that's fairly interesting. And then I think um, Houston's going to run away with the uh, West out there. They've got an 11-and-a-half game lead on Seattle. And then one division we missed here was uh, the NL Central. St. Louis right now has a a three-and-a-half game lead on the Brewers. Um, Yeah, that's that's still striking distance. I mean, something big could happen last two weeks or so of the season, and that could change the whole trajectory there. But um, this is my favorite time of year in baseball, the pennant race. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely do think it's, it's – I would say the only time that's better for me is when they actually get to the playoffs. When yeah. the, the, there is no – basically who's catching who, that's over, and the guys are in the playoffs or that part – and when they have the wild card games, you know, one versus one win, one team wins and the other one goes home after 162 games, you know, that's just when it gets that close. So I like the drama that's included, but I would say, you know, the Yankees are not safe yet. They're not safe. I mean, they, they got an eight game lead, which is good, but it's the way they're playing. I just would not, Say that they got it. This, they got a. You got 42 games left. 42 games left, and the way you're playing, two out of eight out of the last ten. Yeah, yeah. You you leaving opportunities. Had they won, like did, a lot better since the All Star break till now, they should have at least a 13 to 15 game lead. They do not. It's only eight, and it's getting smaller and smaller. So, I. I don't think it's over for the for the Yankees just yet. They're stumbling to the finish line. Yeah, and you really want to get hot right before the um, you know right before the the uh, playoffs begin. That's really been the theme of the last several teams that have won the World Series uh, is just getting hot right at the right time. Looking at the uh, upcoming uh, next, basically the rest of the season for the Yankees, they have uh, two more games uh, tomorrow and Sunday against Toronto. Toronto is still a pretty good ball club. They play two games against the Mets Monday uh, and then Tuesday, and then uh, the rest of August is uh, the Angels and the A's. That should should be 
I don't want to say a cakewalk for them, but that should be an easier seven games of, of baseball right there that they're going to be playing. Um, but then you look into September, and let's see what's on there. First couple of days of September, it's, uh, the second, third, and fourth, that's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series, they're in Tampa. So Tampa may have a chance to really catch up at that point, and then they play them again a week later in, uh, in, uh, in New York. So that Friday the night through the – 11th uh, Sunday, uh, three more games. So six games left between uh, the, the uh, Yankees and the Rays. That could really be the the fighting factor potentially uh, going forward is how those uh, those games go in those two series um, in September. Yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, they, they got – it's still not over yet. And when you're stumbling to the finish line, <laughs> that's not a good thing. The good news, though, is you can stumble – <clears throat> and then turn it on and get hot right before the season ends. <clears throat> and that's what they need to do because, you know, the way they're playing right now, even the teams that you just mentioned have a very good shot of beating them. And teams now, the, another thing about it is teams now need to win. Now it shows what you're made out of because teams like the Mets need to win. They can't afford to give away games. Even teams that are low in the lineup or are out of the races, teams like that love to play spoiler. They play you as if, you know, their life depended on it. So it's it's yeah. tough every time to win right now. Because teams yeah. that are – Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to make this one point. Even when I watched the Mets play the Cubs, the Cubs were playing them as if the Cubs were in the running to win the pennant. They were in the running to take the lead. I mean, they were – they were playing chess to, to get the right matchup. I was like, all right, you, you, you 15 games out of first place. Like, relax. But, yep, they were playing them like they weren't taking any days off. You would not think the Cubs were 15 games out of first place, but they were. That's the kind of team I like right there. Even though they know they're not going anywhere, they're showing where their strengths are. And the Cubs are the type of team, too, that – you know, from this year to next year, they have some money to spend. They might be right back in the in the thick of things, um, you know, this time of year from now as a as a playoff contender, especially in the Central. Central is always an interesting division. It's almost always St. Louis is almost always there, just because they have the the finances, they have the pieces in place typically to contend. But the rest of that division, you know, you think about the Cubs, you think about the Pirates, um, think about Milwaukee, and of course uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, actually, Pittsburgh, I just mentioned there, you think about the Reds. Um, it's always kind of a toss-up the rest of how that's going to work out. So um, wouldn't be shocked to see the Cubs uh, a year from now. We're talking about how they're having a, a great uh, great season. I'm, I'm looking forward to the last uh, six, seven weeks of the regular season. And then once the playoffs start, anything can happen. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So um want you to go through here tonight. I know we uh, talked about a little bit of this off-air, but um, – Tiger Woods, his uh, his vengeance, as you said in the notes here, he stepped that up against the Live Tour. I want you to go through what you meant by that. Yeah, he, he got together a meeting with the PGA Tour and some of the players, and basically they did you know did a private meeting. But the meeting was basically about guys needing to reaffirm. You know, Tiger's basically reaffirming them. They need to stay with the PGA Tour and give the stiff arm to the live golf. And, you know, he's basically going on that theme even more so now 
that, hey, guys who go to the Live Tour are, are wrong, you know, Live, live Golf, they, they shouldn't do it. You should try to earn it. The PGA Tour is the best, and pretty much the same stuff we've heard already. But now he's, he's making himself more vocal and kind of speaking up more about it. My take on this is like this. Not everybody on tour is in Tiger's position. You understand? Like, number one, let's look at it like this. Tiger Woods has his whole legacy built into what he's been doing from the PGA Tour. He's had the win to get the big purses, and, you know, he gets he gets appearance fees too, but 98, 99% of the guys that are on tour are not Tiger Woods, meaning – they haven't played for the, the tour for over, you know, almost 20 years, and they haven't been winning ma- major tournaments and master tournaments, major tournaments over their career, 15. They haven't built up the resume with kind of like what I would say, quote, unquote, their employer. The guys who are on tour now are younger. They don't have the resume that Tiger has. They just don't have it. You understand? These are guys, young guys, and they're more into social media and stuff like that. Now that's just from the legacy and the longevity part. Let's look at the money. The money, I would say 100% of the players are not in Tiger's position. A billionaire. Tiger could turn down a billion dollars, and it wouldn't be detrimental to him because he's a billionaire. Most guys, 90, 100% of the guys on tour cannot turn down a billion dollars. They just cannot. And, you know what I mean? 700,000, 700 million, 800 million, that's what has been confirmed. 700 to 800 million, that's what they said they offered him. Anyway, most guys cannot turn down that type of money. And this is guaranteed money. This is not money you have to win to get. You understand? I think the guys that took the money on Live Golf, did the best financial decision for them. You know, let's look at it. Phil Mickelson, he's in his 50s. He got $200 million. Some of the guys, you know, I would say probably some of the best guys they got was young. And when I'm saying young and still have an opportunity to say if they were on the PGA Tour to win Masters, Brooks Kepka, DJ, those guys I would say, yes, they can win multiple Master tournaments. But how many tournaments would you have to win to get in excess of $100 million? You'd have to win a lot of tournaments, and you'd have to play a lot of golf. Another thing about the live golf is you only have to play three days instead of four days. So I, I understand what Tiger's saying. I know why he's saying these things. He's trying to protect his legacy. Guys are basically saying peace to the PGA Tour, and they're going – they're basically going to another employer, and they say, forget about this place. I'm going to another employer. It's basically what they're doing. I can't hate on the players. I, I understand about that Saudi money. To me, that's just not really – that doesn't carry much weight as far as I'm concerned because any place you go here, even in America, it's not perfect. So they saw a business opportunity someplace else to get more money and play less golf. I think Tiger's just being really protective about his legacy. That's what I think this comes down to. And that's why he's taking such a voice in it. But I, yes, I, as much, and I am the number one pop stroke customer in Orlando. So Tiger cannot say I don't support him. So I hope he does hear this. I 
am a big fan of Tiger Woods. I really enjoy what he's done over his career. But this particular topic and issue, I would have to respectfully disagree with him on. Very interesting take. That's definitely a very interesting take. Yeah, and we'll it, see what happens because like, this is this is a drama that seems like it changes almost every week. Um, you know, there's something new that comes out about <laughs> you know something that's been said by um, one individual on one side or the other. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things play out over the next couple of months. You know, even the next couple of years uh, as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that you can look at and say it's easy. It's easy for someone to criticize. I tell my wife that easy. It's easy to criticize. I think it's it's easy for Tiger to say, hey, you shouldn't take the money, but I'm not in the same position as you. You see what I'm saying? If I was Tiger Woods and I was live golf and Tiger, I wouldn't take the deal either. Even if it was $700 million, $800, a billion, a billion and a half, I wouldn't do it either because I spent my last 20, 25 years on a tour, built a legacy, built a name and a reputation by me jumping to live golf. Regardless of the money, I just damaged my reputation. These guys haven't – they're not there yet. They're not, they're not in Tiger's position. They don't have that type of hold with the PAGA Tour. They don't have that longevity relationship they have with the PGA Tour. It's kind of like an employer relationship. <clears throat> it's kind of like – you know, I'll give an example. When I was working for an employer, I was a t- – I was there for many, many, many years. And, yes, I had a legacy. I had kind of like more commitment towards my employer. Somebody that would come in the game a year, two, or three, I would have to look at it not in my perspective. I would have to kind of envision myself in their perspective. And sometimes when people would leave, and they would tell me, hey, Alan, this is what I'm getting. This is what it is. This is where my future is. I would look at it from their point of view, and I would understand where they're coming from. Instead of me looking at it from my point of view, like, hey, man, you could be like me, I put myself in their position. I said, you know what? You actually do have a very good opportunity there. You understand? Tiger's got to look at it from their perspective. The other young guy who's trying to make it, he's going to win a lot of tournaments to be like you. He'd be turning down $700, $800 million. He's got to win. I mean, you're talking about 20, 25 years, <coughs> and it's not guaranteed. You understand? Guaranteed money in golf has never been heard of until live golf. So, and if that's yeah, what somebody no, that's a good chooses, point. Yeah, if somebody chooses that, hey, more power to them. Yeah, I, I can understand all the perspectives that have been uh, thrown out there on this. I'm not sure there's a right or a wrong side necessarily, um, I, you know, but it, it's definitely turned into a bigger drama than I think anybody thought it would uh, maybe four or five months back uh, when all this kind of came about. It has. that that To me, that's been the shocking thing is that, it's okay, Live Golf has been around for now we're going on four or five months. They're not going anywhere. They're not, you know. If you're a PGA Tour, you have to say, hey, I've, let, let's think of it like the electric company. I used to be the monopoly getting all this money. Now people are going to solar, getting solar, putting solar panels on their roof. I have to adjust because there's a new kid on the block, 
and that's what has happened. You had the, your cake, and you was able to eat it for many, many, many years. Here comes a competitor. You have to deal with the competitor. It's kind of like Home Depot versus Lowe's. You at Home Depot was in the game for a long time, and came Lowe's. You have a competitor. That's how it is. That's you're not gonna ha- you're not gonna have a monopoly anymore. Now you got a new kid on the block. You got to stop complaining about it and learn how to compete. They have been doing one thing, paying more guys, you know, more money. I don't know if you noticed that, uh, but now the wins are more money on the PGA Tour. So that's one good change. You had all the money all to begin with. Why don't you give more money before Live Golf? You understand? So I see. To me, I look at the PGA Tour being really. I would have to say they're being more immature about the situation in Live Golf. Live Golf is actually, I think, for the most part, taking the high road, and the PGA Tour is like, oh man, they're they're looking like the the girlfriend who just is just disgruntled that her boyfriend broke up with her. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, and obviously, if they're the ones gaining all of the the players, obviously they're they have, they really have nothing to say. They benefit nothing uh, from speaking at this point it's really they can be as quiet as they need to and it's not going to really change anything the the other side where you're losing all the players you know they're they're wiggling around like hey we don't know what to do and of course when that kind of thing happens you know it's going to continue to happen until either players stop going over or they find a way to to bring players back so one of those two things will probably eventually happen but it may not be anytime soon no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I looked at the BMW Championship, and that was a that was a yeah. I hope the PGA Tour listened to this. There was a big interest for the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show to actually cover the BMW Championship, which has just started, and they, we heard nothing but crickets. And guess what? Now you look at that BMW Championship. Some of the the only real big names really that was in there was JT Justin Thomas. And you had John Rahm, but if you look at the lineup, it was pretty bare. There wasn't too many DJs, Brooks. There wasn't too many guys like that that were really good, kind of like who have, who are kind of vets, not at their end of their career, but kind of like in the middle, maybe a little past the middle. There wasn't too many guys like that on the BMW championship. John Rahm, you had... Justin Thomas and a couple others, but not it was it wasn't like it used to be. So PGA Tour, you need to get on your game and let us know with the Allen Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show stuff. Maybe that's the reason why people go to Live Golf. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you're saying we can save the PGA Tour? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every bit helps. You know, if you get one view. Ten views is still more than getting no views. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> <laughs> well, something else we've been talking about the last uh, two or three weeks, um, I finally was able to finish uh, watching this past Saturday night, I believe it was, um, and I kind of hinted at it earlier when uh, Lou was on with us. Great series uh, wrapped up here. It was a seven-episode series. Uh, that is The Captain. It was on ESPN, of course. Great Great production. They did an excellent job. Uh, Well-informed. A lot of uh, former players, of course. A couple of guys you met here not that long ago, and uh, Gary yeah. Sheffield, of course, and 
and Tino Martinez were also uh, a part of the program as well. I give that program um, just a, a, high, a lot of high marks. I mean, one to five, I, I give it a five and a half. It was very, very well um, uh, put together. Um, and then the insight that it gave from not only Derek Jeter's perspective, but also from, you know, Joe Torrey and some of the other uh, former Yankee great players um, on Derek Jeter's entire career, basically from the time he was, you know, born until till now where he's at currently um, was, was very well, uh, very well spelled out, very well chronicled. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the overall program itself and what your thoughts are just on how it was put together. I thought the production was great. I definitely do think that, you know, Randy Wilkins as well as Spike Lee did a great job. They did a fantastic job on the production, making the people that they were interview be as comfortable as possible. And it really came across well. I did want to ask Randy Wilkins one a, a question was that he did tweet not even 24 hours ago that him and Alex Rodriguez got into a spat. And this was, I was kind of like get an idea of what this was about. And wow. Like I couldn't believe that, that a rod would be kind of like, you know, not be as cordial for just getting an interview about Derek Jeter and the captain. I, I really thought um, this documentary was really cool because I got a chance to meet some of the players that were in the documentary, Gary Sheffield. You can check our, review of our interview with Gary Sheffield and the review of the captain formerly right there on our YouTube and Facebook page. I want to thank Gary Sheffield for an amazing interview. I did want to ask Tino <coughs> a few questions, but believe it or not, when I ran into him, I did ask him off camera because I know some people have been asking, hey, how come you didn't ask Tino? Well, Tino only actually watched up until episode three. And I didn't really want to spoil it for him. And at that point, I really didn't want to, you know, at that point, I really couldn't ask him much on on it at that point because he only watched till episode three. So I was already past episode six. I only had one more to go. I didn't want to spoil it for him. And at that point, I was like, ah, I, have, I can't really ask him more than that. But, yeah, I thought it was a great, great production. I'm glad you did say that you got, uh, you know, such high marks out of it because you are not a Yankee fan and they actually beat your Braves. So what was it so compelling to you about the captain not being a Yankee fan? That is. Oh, well, I just have a lot of respect for, for him as a player and as a, as a leader. Um, I'm going to be careful how I say this. I, I don't think that Derek Jeter was a superstar in the sense of, you know, you talk about Alex Rodriguez and I think a rod, his biggest problem uh, has always been, that he inserts himself into into places that he really shouldn't when it comes to talking about other players. And so what I really liked about Jeter is he typically took the high road. Um, I felt like he, as a, as a player, he was the leader of that team from the minute he walked in the door until the, until the day he retired. Um, Without him there, I, I will say this. I think they would have won a couple of those world series or at least been in them but I don't think they would have won all five that they did during his tenure uh, without him being a part of that team. Um, you know, here's a guy that, again, 
he's a superstar, but not a traditional superstar. A lot of superstars, at least in that era, when you thought of superstars, you think of guys like Griffey um, or Bonds who are driving in, you know, 140 or 150 runs a year, hitting 45, 50 home runs minimum. Derek Jeter never hit 30 home runs in a season, to my knowledge, and he might have had one season that he did. So he was a consistent player. He was a guy who, and really the whole thing I took out of it was his focus on winning. The difference between him and, and A-Rod, and there's probably some other players you could focus in on as well, the difference between Jeter and A-Rod is Jeter, he wanted to win. and That, that was all it was for him. It was, I want to win. How do I win the next year? I won this year. How do I win next time around? How do I win after that? All the way to the very last day he played in the league. Whereas A-Rod, it was, you know, I want to be, I want to be the highlight show. You know, think about him going to Texas in 2001. But let's be honest here. Going back and looking at that Texas team, they were not really well put together. They had some good prospects in the minor leagues, but that was all about the money. If he had really gone someplace that was all about winning for A-Rod, it would have been he would have gone to the Mets. He would have gone to the Yankees right away. Um, he may even have stayed in Seattle. I mean, they were a much better put-together team than, than Texas. So um, I respect guys like that. I, I see a lot of uh, Tom Brady in, in Derek Jeter, a lot of similarities in terms of you know, their, their playing careers, uh, obviously. Um, they both have been at the very top. They've also lost in the, in the big games before. Um, so they've had a, some humility in there at the same time. But um, more than anything else, I love the game of baseball. And it's always neat to watch, even if it's a team you don't care for. Um, Jeter's a guy that I don't care who you are. He, he's the type of guy you can root for individually. <laughs> Maybe not the whole team. But uh, I, like I said, I, I had a lot of respect for him before. I have an even bigger respect for him now, watching all the things he did and went through as a player. Yeah, I mean, definitely he had to deal with a lot of stuff. I'm glad that he at least opened up to a large degree and spoke about things. And and I know how tough that is for 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 Derek in a lot of ways because it wasn't part of his his repertoire. He just you know he eliminated distractions and. You know, I, I really like A Rod. I think he's a he's a cool guy, but you're you're right. To your point, one thing about A Rod that really is like his Achilles heel is his ego and his his always has to suck in all the attention. You know, he reminds me of a kid I used to know. And basically with that kid, if we're not talking about that kid, then you're not talking about nothing. You know, if we're yeah, not talking yeah. about him and what he's doing and everything about him, then we're basically not talking about nothing, basically. And that's how A-Rod is. He reminds me a lot like his mentality. It's so self-centered. Like, okay, I, I could kind of guess what happened between the two. I don't know this for a fact. But knowing A-Rod, I think it kind of irritated A-Rod to a degree because of the fact that, you you know, remember when they're doing a documentary, it's not like – me doing an interview with someone, you're talking about hours and hours and hours of talking. Even though they only put maybe 15 or 20 minutes of their talking, there's, I know for a fact, there's hours behind that. Hours. So I can almost kind of fill in the blanks of what happened. A-Rod was kind of like, because I, th- I feel as if, in my opinion, that A-Rod to a large degree is jealous of, of Derek. Yeah, I, think I, he, I, I sense that all the way that, that, that dates back, in my opinion, to the, to the mid-'90s. I mean, the fact that you're in New York, the fact that the, 
the spotlight in New York. I mean, again, I, I mentioned the type of player that Jeter was. Again, he was a superstar, but not in the traditional sense. Had A-Rod started in New York in the mid, mid-90s, his fandom and his stardom would have been, you know, immensely higher than it ended up being. And who knows how his career would have changed. But yeah, I agree 100% that I think that there's a huge jealousy factor there. And look, here's the other thing to keep in mind, too. Before A-Rod got to New York, had he had he gone to Boston? Because obviously that almost happened. Um, I think he wins the World Series in Boston. Obviously, they ended up winning in 04. But it took him going to New York to win a World Series. And they hadn't gone there. Had he stayed in Texas or moved somewhere else, I don't think A-Rod ever wins a World Series. And the biggest reason why is because his ego isn't just the things he says. It is his 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 stardom. His, his I have to be the best player on the team. And that's really all that matters, and that, that's not a team player, in my opinion. Yeah, and there's a difference between being a superstar and being somebody who wants to be the showcase versus winning a game. They're two different things, and they're not all the same. Yes, you could be a superstar, but that doesn't mean that you're going to do what's best for the team to win. And I, I think with, with A-Rod, I think he wanted to be like Derek, well-respected, a superstar, big city, winning championships. But he didn't get that in Texas, and it seemed like it came naturally to Derek. And I think even when they played together, and I think that's what causes problem with the director, because why would a director have issue with you being a player that you used to play with Derek about a, about a documentary? The reason being is because A-Rod, I think, underlying is jealous of Derek, even to this day. They're, you know what I mean? Why would, why would you give the guy, the director, beef unless you're jealous? hey, this, this documentary should be about me. You know what I mean? It should be about me being great. It should be me. I seen your documentary, and that wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't flattering about you, Derek. I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me, about you, A-Rod. Streetball, Hardball was not a good documentary that made A-Rod look good. Let me just tell you that right now. It did not. If you think you got an ego now, you watch that documentary, it's going to be five times worse. So... <laughs> It was well, not the like the other thing too that I would point out uh, the difference between the two players. Uh, Jeter had the respect because he had earned it, and he, respect isn't one of those things you can purchase. A Rod had the mentality of, okay, I'm going to come in here to Texas, or when I get to New York later on, he had this mentality of, okay, I may not have the respect right now, but I'm going to buy that respect. I'm going to purchase it, and that's not how it works. And I, I don't think I still don't think to this day A Rod understands that. I, I just 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 listening to him on the pregame show for Fox. I just think at this point he still hasn't figured that out, and <laughs> I don't think he will because he's you know what was he forty six forty seven now. He hasn't figured it out by now. I don't think he's going to, and that ego is going to continue to go on. And I think it's I think it's eating away at him a lot because here's a guy who at this point. Yeah, you're still attached to the game because you can talk about it on Fox, but you're not going to the Hall of Fame. Let's let's be honest here. I, unless something drastically changes in the way that they elect players into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, he's not going to the Hall of Fame. Um, his relationship with Derek Jeter is not what it could have been or what not what it should be. And he's got a lot of stuff going on in his personal life that's just kind of, you know, roller coaster-ish. So, you know... I just I don't think he's going to get that figured out. And again, you know, usually those are the things that you get instilled in your 
um, in your uh, way you live life when you're in your 20s, maybe in your 30s, approaching 50 like he is now, I just I don't see it happening. No, I, I agree. I just think that, you know, it, it's one of those things that if you don't cr- – this is the thing. If you don't learn and your things when you're a child, they don't go away as you get older. And a lot of people find it hard to believe, but that's a fact, you know. I, I take care of kids, and I've been around kids, and I'm telling you, if you don't take care of things when they're a child, they grow up into adulthood with these same faults. And the name of the documentary, by the way, was Screwball on Netflix. You watch that documentary – you're going to see a huge ego. And, you know, that's the thing. The, the same pattern keeps repeating itself. Like if, if A-Rod would say, you know what, I'm going to just not try to be the superstar, just kind of like for a change, let me not soak up all the attention. He actually would do a lot better. He would probably would have won maybe more championships. But when you, when you suck up all the attention – and it's always got to be about you, that is a major flaw. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't look past yourself. And sometimes when you're trying so hard to be the man, it doesn't happen. When you don't try to be the man, sometimes it does happen. So I just think, um, you know, in that, that review, I will talk more about some of the good things about A-Rod, but the thing about the ego and – you, you can't really get past it. And, I, and I, as, as I was saying, I think, I think even to this day, A-Rod is extremely jealous of Derek. He, he just is. Even though Derek admitted that, that A-Rod is the better player. He admitted that in this documentary. But I just think better player doesn't mean winning player. They're two different yep. things. 100%. 100. 100%. And that, that I, you, could, you could apply that same – um, standard, I guess, to Barry Bonds. Um, you know, obviously, um, he had all kinds of issues when he was in Pittsburgh, and then he had some great teams he played on in San Francisco, and kind of the same thing, um, you know, to some degree. I, I'll be honest, though, I don't think his ego is nearly as big as, uh, as A-Rod's. I don't think you can – those two guys can't be in the same room, of course, together, but I, I, I think that uh, A-Rod would still win out of the two of those guys for, for ego size, so <laughs> – yeah, and, and that's the thing. I just think – and that's and it's unfortunate because A-Rod is a great player. But, yeah, I, I did see where – in A-Rod's defense, I did see where they just recently had an interview with Derek Jeter, Michael Kay. This was just a few days ago. And, and the two of them have buried the hatchet. So they are now cool again. But to your point, the relationship could have been a lot better throughout the years. It, it wouldn't, have, wouldn't have had to take so many years later – to get cool, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Derek heard about A-Rod not being as cool with the director as he should have been. I'm sure that got back to <laughs> Randy Wilkins, who directed the, the the captain. Oh, I'm sure it did. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely sure it did. If we know about it, then he sure does. So, <laughs> Yeah, he did tweet it. And, um, yeah, so I, I definitely – I tagged – you know, Randy Wilkins, and for those who, who know that I did put the review on our page, it's an honest review. It had a lot of details about it. I think it's refreshing to watch it, that YouTube video. And I do talk a lot more about the captain and my thoughts on that video. I did tag Randy Wilkins in it, and I did tweet 
that I did put that video up. So hopefully he watches it, gives my his thoughts on it, whether he agrees or disagrees. That's okay. I'm willing to hear what he has to say about it. I definitely want to thank Gary Sheffield for giving his input on what he thought about the captain. So that was really cool. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely fun to have, uh, you know, former big league star like him uh, provide some feedback there. So uh, last couple of things I want to get to here tonight. Obviously you are our boxing expert out of the two of us. And it looks like uh, we've got uh, Vic Tony versus Troy Isley. Um, some information about that fight. Tell us a little bit about that here tonight. Yeah, Vic Tony was so gracious in giving us an interview on Wednesday, and his fight was on Saturday, just a few days before the fight. And I really appreciate and thank Vic Tony for doing that. And also his team, you know, Rocky and also his wife, Alicia, for, for doing that. But the thing about it is I watched his fight, and somebody on YouTube wanted my unbiased opinion, and I'm going to give it to you now for those who are listening. As much as I like Vic Tony, he just did not throw enough punches. He was too inactive to win this fight. Now, as I say that, let me tell you the great things he did do. His defense was on point. He's very poised. And for the first time, I've never seen his opponent, Troy Isley. I've watched Troy Isley fight in person in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you to Top Rank for providing the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show full media access. I actually saw his opponent, Troy Isley, in, in person in Atlanta. And I also watched quite a few of Troy Isley's fights, and I also watched quite a few of his interviews. So I'll be prepared for the interview with Vic Tony. And I've never seen Troy Isley be so frustrated as I saw Saturday night fighting Vic Tony. I think they thought, Troy's team thought that Vic was going to be an easy competitor. He was not. His defense was very, very good. He did counterpunch, but I just felt as if Vic did not throw enough punches in return. He did not counter enough. You don't get points for throwing, for having great defense. Yes, you want to have a great defense, but you have to counter, and sometimes you have to be the initiator for the offense. Like, you can't just counter and then hit the guy with one punch. You have to counter and then counterpunch with one, two. Plus, sometimes to throw your opponent off, you can't just counter. Sometimes you've got to throw a couple punches. Watch a little bit of Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather throws that jab to the stomach. Sometimes he throws that overhand right. Those are very good punches to throw from a distance that are safe. Yes, I do get it that if you throw a punch or two or three punches back, you leave yourself open to get hit. Well, let me explain this to you guys. This is what I was talking about. Let me explain this to you. One of the reasons why I'm not a doctor is because I don't like the sight of blood. You understand? <laughs> you, and me, you and me both on that one for sure. <laughs> I don't like the sight of blood. I might like, you know, reading charts. I might love hanging out with the nurses. I might love getting a great parking spot. I might love the paycheck. But if I cannot do or I don't love or at least can under, uh, like basically look past the blood part, I can't be a great doctor. I just can't. If you are a boxer and you got great defense, but you're unwilling to throw punches because you don't want to get countered, you don't want to get hit, well, guess what? 
you can't be a great boxer. I'm sorry. I know it sucks that sometimes when you throw punches, you leave yourself open to get hit. That's why you got to keep the your right hand up when you throw. But that's part of the job. You have to throw punches. You have to throw punches. And, yes, I understand you're not throwing punches at a punching bag because the punching bag doesn't throw back. But Vic, I think, had a good opportunity. I would even say Vic had a great opportunity to win this fight had he just put about 30 to 35% more output. And I was looking at the fight. And I'm like, come on, Vic, throw some punches, man. Throw some punches. And he would just do great defense. And Troy won the fight on decision. I was not surprised. And somebody on YouTube asked me for my fair assessment. I, If I was ringside and I didn't know either gentleman, I would have to, in all fairness, give the fight to Troy because he was at least trying to throw punches. He was the more aggressor. The last two and a half rounds, he did very good, Troy. I'm talking about Troy. Troy did very good the last two and a half rounds. It's only a six-round fight that they were in. You have to be a little bit more sense of urgency. <coughs> so, yes, we have to be fair in the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. Even if we do interview you, we cannot lie. And I cannot lie. I think Troy won this fight. I definitely hope that we continue to have a great relationship with Troy, with uh, Vic and with Troy Isley. But definitely, I, I really would love to do another interview with Vic. But I, I just, I would even tell him, you have to throw more punches. Yeah, that's the way you're going to win, obviously, in boxing. So, um, no, that's a good analysis there. And, and obviously, being fair, too, uh, we're not uh, – we're, I'll put it this way, we're biased towards our particular sports teams, but just like you probably hear me say on numerous occasions, and you know, you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, I'm a fan of the Braves, you're a fan of the Yankees, you were very honest in what you just said about the Yankees there before, they're really struggling, and you even mentioned you wouldn't be surprised if they were uh, to be out early in the playoffs this year, uh, just based on the way they're playing here lately, so we, uh, we do try to keep our criticism as fair as possible, make good points. And that's uh, really what we're all about here on this program. So, Absolutely right. That's what we're about on this program. It's nothing personal. Really, I, I hey, Vic was a cool guy. He's still a cool guy to me. But I, somebody asked for my unbiased opinion, and I even told them, don't be mad at me. And I appreciated the fact that I told them basically what I just said here. And they were not, they were not mad at me, which I was glad to, to hear that, you know, because they knew that I interviewed Vic, so they didn't want me to – regurgitate a biased opinion. They wanted an unbiased opinion. I gave them my unbiased opinion, just like I would give to Vic. Like, hey, you did great things in the ring, and you had, I would say, you Vic had a great opportunity to win this fight. Because, I've again, I've never seen Troy be so frustrated. And this is what I'll tell everybody that's listening. Anytime you're doing anything and you frustrate your opponent, you have a very good chance of winning because anytime you're frustrated and you're – the person who's frustrated, it's hard to do whatever you're doing great when you're frustrated. You just can't. You, it's just hard to do it. it just, we just talking about being a doctor. I wouldn't want a frustrated doctor operating on me. I wouldn't. Yeah. Good point for sure on that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. But, yes, you know, definitely, Vic, no hard feelings. And. We do have a, a big fight coming up with Joshua versus Usyk too. And I give Usyk credit because, 
you know, he, he basically paused his fighting career because of he's from Ukraine and to take honor in his country. He did not box for, a, I would say, a year, year and a half. This fight should have been sooner, but he took it, he put it on hold because of his country, Ukraine, and now he's fighting against Joshua. The only issue with that is I, I'm really not sure how Usyk is going to come into this fight. He did beat Joshua the first time, but because he had such so much time off, he's had a, you know the mental process with dealing with his country in a war. And I don't know how he's trained. So with that being said, I'm going to give the fight to Joshua. I think I think Joshua has learned from the first fight. I'm really not sure where Usyk's head is at and where his mind frame is at with the pause because of you know, a good reason. He was taking he's a country man. It's nothing like that, but I don't know where his his head is at with his training. He looks okay, but I don't know if he still has that same motivation to win, and that makes a big difference when you're fighting somebody as good as Joshua. So I think Joshua's going to win a, a close fight in a decision. I also do have I have Ali, who's got a fight. Who I got him winning this weekend, too. And congratulations to Alexander Zayas on winning his fight last weekend with Vic, Tony, and Troy. I will say one thing about Xander's fight is that I definitely do think, Xander, you did great. But you did, you did engage with the boxer a lot more than you needed to. And you took some hits for that. I think you took a lot more punishment than you needed to. You are quite far the better boxer, but it seemed like you wanted a fight instead of box at a lot of point in that fight. So great job on the win. But next time, try to keep your boxing up. If you fight people, you give them an opportunity to beat you. If you box them, you give them a lot less because you're world class. And congratulations on that win. Great stuff here tonight, uh, definitely on the boxing front there, Alan. So appreciate you going through that here with us. Um, great show again here tonight. want to thank our good buddy Lou for joining us right at the top of the program. want to thank our excellent sponsor once again, uh, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce, which, of course, is so delicious and addicting you may need a support group. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Uh, we'll have a lot of good stuff to get into uh, just to kind of preview our show next week. Of course, we'll advance to the next week of where we are in the Major League Baseball pennant races and then – uh, we're going to go through division by division in the NFL, give our predictions on who we think will um, will prevail uh, as we are just a couple weeks away from uh, college football and, of course, the NFL football kicking off. So for Lou and for Alan, this is Aaron signing off. Have a pleasant week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evan and Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. and check out us on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.